This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's Eddie S6. Check out the new Eddie S6 at www.grassvalley.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This episode, we have Dan May, who heads up Blackmagic Design's U.S. division. We're going to be talking about Resolve and Blackmagic Design's approach to color correction and post. Now, no one's gotten our forward film review, so we retired that one, and we have a new one now. And with me tonight will be Lauren. As you remember, she was away for the last one. She was missing in action. Where was I? You were at work. Our schedules were really swamped, so... Oh, I've got to get rid of that job. I know. Yeah. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dan May. Tell me a little bit about Blackmagic's background and sure. how it was founded and how it became an industry leader in post-production via hardware and software. Blackmagic was founded about 10 years ago now. It was founded by a couple of guys that actually came from the post-production industry. And kind of the, I guess, kind of the leading cause into why Blackmagic fundamentally got founded was they were kind of just amazed in the way that a lot of video manufacturers kind of treated their customers almost. I don't want to say that necessarily it was it was about, you know, gouging or, or treating the big company better than the little little guys out there, but, but there kind of became this frustration that they had. They were um, trying to work in post-production and they, and they just felt like there was a bit of an equality between, you know, what they as kind of young entrepreneurial guys could do versus other long-standing companies out there. And, and a lot of that was kind of this duality in the way that manufacturers treated their customers. So they really kind of started Blackmagic almost in, in that sense of, you know, I'm a customer and I'm frustrated. If I were running a manufacturer, this is what I'd do. Well, well hey, it's, you know, let's go out and start building a company around these principles. And, and you kind of have seen this over the past 10 years and everything that Blackmagic does, it's really driven about kind of empowering the creative professional, kind of a bit of a marketing line there. But, you know, fundamentally, that's that's what Blackmagic has been driven to do is, you know, how do I create a product that really empowers an individual out there to have basically the A game, you know, a a top level product, top level functionality, and and be able to provide that uh, across the board, whether I'm a guy that's you know, just getting out of college and into production, or if I'm a major Hollywood blockbuster churner out production facility, you know, how mm-hmm. how do you create that? And and pretty much that's what Blackmagic's founded on. And, you know, it started with Decklink cards. It just kind of has kept going from there to, you know, the converters and the hubs and obviously with DaVinci and, and pretty much every every angle, the first fundamental question that comes down when Blackmagic, you know, has been growing has, you know, how do we take this to the next step to be able to create these products with lots of functionality and be able to reach a lot of people out there? And that's kind of the fundamental vision that, that kind of drives the company. Coming from the, the editors, it's been built up from the post-production world. How do you guys maintain that now? Since uh, I'm assuming that the original creators aren't still editing. Well, they're not still editing, but you know, it's I don't know. It's not a secret. It's not a little-known fact either. We do actually still own a, you know, we have a Black Magic Design post, which is a post house in Singapore. It's one of the biggest post houses in Singapore. They are actively doing post-production gigs, and it's kind of a funny story in the sense that you know they were Da Vinci Resolve customers prior to the acquisition of Da Vinci, and, and that's kind of how that acquisition almost started to go was that, you know, they were using the product, they were engaged with the guys and, you know, not to use the, uh, you know, we liked it so much we bought the company, but, you know, Mm -hmm. when that opportunity came around that we saw that there was that opportunity, 
you know, the guys in the post house sat, you know, were with basically the the, the rest of the, the executive team from the manufacturing side of things. And it was, you know, we really saw the opportunity there. And, and there's a lot of things that we gain from having that post-production facility because new challenges that they face are the same challenges that editors and post-production professionals face everywhere. You know, when new camera formats come along or new delivery challenges or 3D or all these things, they're hitting those same problems that everyone else is faced with. And that almost gives Blackmagic that benefit of being able to say, okay, well, this is a real problem, and how do we address it? And how do we use our products to address it? Or how do we create new products to address these problems or challenges that are coming down the line? So, um, so yeah, while, you know, while, while, while guys aren't actually sitting there perhaps editing every day, um, you know, we're, we're still very attached to the, the current comings and goings of the industry for, through that daily practice of post-production. Now, can you tell me a bit about your professional background and how you got involved yeah. with Blackmagic? Yeah, sure. I've been in this industry for about 10 years now. I came from another technical field, and about 10 years ago, I kind of came into the video editing and post-production market. Blackmagic was founded in Australia, and they've kind of grown out from there. And about five years ago is when, we, when I really sat down with them, and you know, Blackmagic was at the point where they really needed a, a U.S foundation. They had sold through channel partners. They had you know, gotten into the market, but they, they didn't really have feet on the ground, so to say. So about five years ago, I came on to run the U.S. operations. And from then, we've added, obviously, local support, local sales, local marketing. And we, and we basically run a team here that's just dedicated to, to the U.S. So you know, that's, that's obviously been a great boon for Blackmagic and being able to have you know, local people being able to do the support or attend events or, or just basically be around because, you know, as much as we love to put out these fantastic products, people also want to reach out and touch and feel the, the company's personnel. And when you're in Australia, there's a big time zone, there's a big ocean, that that was just a necessary thing. So for the past five years, we've just been basically working with the U.S. and uh, Canada and Latin America as well. And it's been a really great ride, obviously a crazy ride if anyone's been following Black Magic, yeah. you know, the, these various acquisitions that have gone on these past few years. And then if you, you know, for anyone that comes to the various trade shows they can see you know our, our presence growing and growing and our product diversity building as well so it's been a great ride and uh, and uh, <laughs> seeing no sign of that slowing down so mm-hmm. so that's that's you know that's what I've been doing these last five years and uh, you know I've done I've done editing on the side and a little camera shooting and and whatnot I, I certainly not claim to be a shooter or editor <laughs> but uh, but but you know I, I've, I've had the uh, late two o'clock in the morning when am I going to be done editing this project oh my god, it crashed, what am I doing now? So I, I can relate to some level, but like I said, mm-hmm. not a professional editor, but I certainly I certainly can understand a lot of what people go through out there on a daily basis as well. With the company's acquisition of Resolve, it's become a leading edge company in color grading for post-production. What led to the release of Resolve Lite as a free download? In Resolve, is a fantastic color grading software that obviously pre-R acquisition was reserved for the you know, the highest peak of color grading. And we knew that we wanted to bring that to the, the masses, which is why we released the $1,000 version of the version 7 of, of that software, $1,000 Mac software. And it's done really well. There were some still obstacles in the way for people to be able to just say, look, I want to get that or I want to try that out. You know, it, it took two graphics cards. It took two NVIDIA graphics cards. You kind of had to have specific hardware. You know, there, there, were, there were just some barriers that, you know, someone may say, look, I'm, I, I know it's great. I've seen the reviews. I've seen the community out there be very excited about the product, but 
just not quite ready yet. Now with version 8, where we don't have the same hardware requirements, you can use it with one graphics card. You can, we can use OpenCL and ATI cards. and it, it becomes a software that really there's no reason why anyone can't drop it on their Mac system today and begin looking at it, minus having to spend that $1,000. So we've kind of taken this philosophy of, look, let's create the light version. We'll put in some barriers, I guess, in there, you know, some, some limitations in there, but we still want it to be a very full-featured, feature-rich product. So you're limited to two nodes. It's a nodal-based software. So you're only limited to two nodes, and there's, there's the SD and HD, but no 2K, no 3D, no some of these other features that maybe you're not needing on a daily basis, but at the same time, someone can actually sit down with it today and say, look, I can do a primary grade with a power window, or I can do a primary with a secondary, but I do have a limitation. No watermark, no expiration, so it is actually pretty full-featured software. We want everyone to go out there. We want any guy sitting on a Mac out there who's wondering what he's going to do or what the buzz is to just download it. Build up this user base. Get people out there. I kind of jokingly said, you know, Everyone has Photoshop. Everyone's gotten Photoshop from somewhere at some point, and everyone knows how to use Photoshop. Now, where you got it and how you got it and what version it is, all over the place. Mm -hmm. But everyone knows how Photoshop works because they've got it from somewhere. It's that same kind of philosophy here. If everyone can get this free version of Resolve, they'll be able to see what the power is, see what the buzz is about, begin to learn the software. And we believe that once people have that, they'll come to a point where some people we like think most people, will come to the point where they'll say, look, getting those extra features for $1,000, right? No one wants to sit there with a client and have them say, hey, can you add a blur to that? And to say, oh, sorry, I only had the free version. I'm going to need to go come back with that and re-render and get into the, you know, for, for the guys that are going out there, they're going to want to buy that full version for getting around some of the limitations we put there. But at the same time, can actually sit there and do real work with the light versions. Well, I think what's fantastic about it is I teach a lot of posts here in Toronto with the results light before it's the school's always balking at prices and now i can say well let's start with the resolve light see how the students handle it i mean we've had we've had people say you know this is great because while i have my two big edit suites where i've got my colorist sitting there you know i also have a junior colorist that's just doing the assembly they're just doing some various now this guy can go ahead and do all the assembly on the light version and kick it over to my main colorist on his expensive editing rig, you know, the $1,000 software not being the very expensive part, but he's built a $20,000 Mac. This other guy's on a $1,000 iMac. Well, that $1,000 iMac can still do everything, just those simple limitations they have. These projects are compatible back and forth. Or if I'm the one-man shop that's just been using the light version of Resolve, I can then buy the $1,000 version. It simply just unlocks those features. All those projects I've used before aren't suddenly trash or can't be used. It's just unlocking those versions for you once you've bought the full version and plugged the dongle in. So mm -hmm. you know, it, it opens up a lot of, again, you know, it's that path of least resistance. Let people try it. Let people find out if they like it and if they can use it. Because, look, everyone wants to learn how to be a colorist, and, and some people maybe won't, or some people... You know, you know, when, when Final Cut Pro came out with color, everyone started to use color to some degree. That doesn't necessarily make everybody a colorist, but it certainly did open that door for a lot of people to start experiencing true color grading that had before been kind of inaccessible to that marketplace. Resolve is just taking this another step further by saying, look, this is the, the world's premier color grading software and now accessible to everybody. And hopefully... People will like it enough and use it enough to be able to say, look, I want those extra features. So uh, 
it's exciting. You know, it's an exciting time for us. Now, what are some of the new products coming out that you're excited about? Obviously, we mentioned Resolve. Just the sense of how many people are interested and how many people we can touch and feel with that it is exciting. You know, one of the other products that I'm really excited about is our HyperDeck line. This is our solid-state disc recorders that are out there. Um, and we've started shipping our shuttle unit, which is kind of our mini box that has SDI and HDMI on it. And you put an SSD in there. It's exciting because it becomes a lot of different things. Is it a field recorder? Is it a, something you lay off for backup? Is it something I put on the back of a switcher? Is it something that I, I just carry around in the post-production facility in order to just move video from place to place? Almost that, you know, it's kind of boiled down to the most simplistic, you know, box. But because it's so simple in what it does, it applies to so many different areas. I'm really excited about that product. And, and we, we have launched it and it is doing really well out there. And we're excited about that. And then we have our, our studio version, which is a bigger version, which kind of becomes like a mini VTR. It can use two SSDs so you can be constantly recording or playing back. It has kind of those traditional VTR feels with the, you know, the knob and the, and the, the you know, the preview and the time code. And these have generated a lot of excitement as a like I said, you know, either whether it be a portable VTR or a mini VTR that you want to dedicate to particular editing rooms, you know, at $1,000 for the box, again, you know, you're opening a lot of doors for people that perhaps before couldn't say, well, I can have this dedicated hardware in this environment. You know, that's a product that's got a lot of buzz going around it. I think that for the post-production market it is horribly exciting. Now, I have one, one last question that I ask everyone I, I interview, and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? I'm usually not one of those guys that watch a lot of films over and over. I usually watch things once I'm done. But I've got to say, I've probably seen the original Star Wars trilogy about a hundred times. And I know that's probably typical of our demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, yeah, that, that movie, I don't think I, you know, that, that trilogy, first trilogy, I need to say, because I am that snobby Star Wars geek. You know, that first trilogy, I just don't think I could ever get tired of watching. Yeah, I guess, I guess my guilty pleasure is the original Star Wars trilogy. It's a fun film to watch. That's all it that's is. important. Well, thank you very much for letting me interview you. Yeah, no problem. So, Lauren, that was my interview with Dan May. Yep. We've been lucky because we have Resolve to give away. Yes. And if, if you want to get your name into the draw, all you have to do is go to artoftheguillotine.com, and on the right-hand side, you'll see a big present that's for giveaways. Mm-hmm. Um, you just click on there, and you'll learn how to get your name entered for the prize. Awesome. Yeah. Um, now we have a four-word film review. Do we? Yeah. I'm just looking at it now. That's not four <laughs> words. Yes, it's actually only two in this one. It's two-word film review. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Are you wanting me to announce the new four-word film review? Yeah. Okay, so the new one, our new four-word film review is Skull Cap. Skull cap. And how can they uh, win the prize? They can send it to info at artoftheguillotine.com or you could send it to uh, you could send it to our Facebook, which is um, facebook.com slash artguillotine. Or, you know, we always have conversations going on at uh, on the Twitter on the Twitters. And the yeah, the tweet space. And uh, so that's that one's called at Art Guillotine. <laughs> Why am I so tired? Is what I said. Yes. Now, uh, we got, before we wrap up the podcast, we got a lovely email from David H. Are we really done? I haven't even said anything yet. I, I feel you're, like you're, you're censoring though. me. You're censoring me. I'm not censoring you. 
Um, but yeah, we got a lovely email from David H who listens to the podcast. Yes. From Texas. And we've got to go down to Texas. Go Bulls. I have nothing. Oh, oh, we just lost everyone in Texas. I don't know. They have bull, Bulls. Dallas Cowboys. I know. Well, I, I'm not referring to any sport. I'm just saying. Chicago has the Bulls. I, I'm not talking about sports teams. I'm talking about animals. <laughs> <laughs> Go Hats. <laughs> I don't know. You just lost everyone. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. I haven't gone ever. Yeah. We should do that. Yeah. I think there needs to be a, the great... AOTG road trip. Trust me, I've been working on it. I know. I, I tried to, to get Focal Press to help us get across Canada and down through the states, but when they saw the budget, they they didn't like it. Wow. Well, yeah. If you were willing to put us up somewhere, <laughs> yeah, maybe we could couch surf our way yeah. through the states. Except for by couch surf, I mean people would pay our accommodations and <laughs> <in> nice hotels. <laughs> so, anyways, David, uh, he sent us a lovely email. We've sent him a shirt as a thank you. Oh, nice. Um, he, he was Which shirt about, did he get? Sorry. Uh, I believe we sent him a fix it in pre. Nice. Um, we do have a new one that is uh, editors do it on the flatbed. Sweet. Um, totally true. So Lauren's going to read us this uh, lovely quote. Uh, and this is actually my first time reading it. So let's let's see what he has to say. Yeah. If if we start and stop, I'll try and cut it. Yeah. Breaks. And if I get emotional, you know, we'll just. You know, People who started in the business as editors are the best at everything else because as an editor you learn everything necessary to make the project happen, including eavesdropping on decision makers' conversations while you're editing. All shortcomings are revealed. It's the editor's job to make to take a pile of film, video, stills, mats, composites, synced, and wild audio, sometimes no audio, music and legal limitations and conjure a film that delivers a coherent message and moves a, a targeted audience. And when I, well when I read this, um, his legal limitations yes. uh, made me laugh because I remember the first feature I cut was this really bad vampire movie uh, and it wasn't Twilight, I'm sorry. Oh. But it was Saved by the Bell meets um, Twilight, I guess you could say. Oh. Yeah, okay. it was pretty bad. And, uh, and I'll never forget getting the rushes one day. The main actor was wearing a Spider-Man shirt. Why? Why would you do that? That's just so stupid. Oh, my God. That's actually and, uh, and like... I said, uh, I, I asked, I said, how'd you, how'd you ever get the release for that? And she just looked at me and she said, release. Oh, no. <laughs> and so... That's a purposeful mistake. That, that film... Uh, if you ever find it, I'm not going to give the title of it, but uh, if you ever notice... I'll give you the title. ...a weird blur on a character's shirt in uh, a vampire movie, and it feels like you're watching Saved by the Bell meets Twilight. Mm. Or Showgirls uh, on um, on City TV. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, you're watching the film, the first feature I cut. Uh, back to Showgirls on City TV. I remember yes. I uh, tuned into that one time, and there was actually a scene where I believe she's topless with a jacket on, like a little jean jacket or something, and they actually drew on a leopard print bustier. Now, why you would make it a print so you actually have to make that move around, I don't know, but it literally looked like it was done in paint. It was so bad. That's the thing, though. Amazing, like though. Yeah. So funny. Well, it's like um, 
It's like in uh, Die Hard when uh, he says mm-hmm. yippee Kaye. He's like, yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's like, there is no Mr. Falcon. I kind of like to think that our Canadian um, City TV network actually does their own dubs that are... Do. do they? I would love I that. That would be so happy. He, he worked there for a bit. Yeah. The, well, other one, the other one that was good was Snakes on a Plane. And that right. was, uh, I'm sick of... What was it? Oh, I'm sick of these monkey flying snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. Yes. Monday to Friday plane. <laughs> I didn't realize the plane had that. Yeah, weekday planes are the worst ones. Yeah. So, I'd like to wrap this up because I feel that we're both pretty tired. I have a feeling that you're going to cut out all of this. I'd like to uh, wrap this podcast up and I'd like to thank Michelle from Black Magic who helped uh, set up this interview, helped organize everything, got us a, pa- um, got us a copy of Resolve to give away. Uh, without her, this wouldn't have happened. And uh, Black Magic has been so generous with their time and their resources yeah. um, in giving you stuff to give away. You know, there have certainly been certain companies that I've just been so impressed because I, I don't work for the website. Like, you know, I'm on these podcasts, but that's about it. And I obviously hear about what's going on with the business and stuff, but it's always the same businesses that step up and like donate yeah. product and are uh, sponsoring the website. So we have to say thank you to Black Magic for sure. Yeah, and I would also like to thank uh, Dan May. Yep. And I'd like to thank my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I don't think I'm really a producer anymore. I'd call myself a um, headliner. <laughs> so The Cutting Room starring Lauren Woodcock also Gordon Burkell. Um, <laughs> introducing Gordon Burkell. <laughs> with a, I'm the with, opening act. With a walk-on <laughs> appearance by Buster. Yes, yeah. uh, the noisemaker in the why, background that's why you Buster. Do, that's why you do the intro and, and all that lead-up stuff, and then when you're when the crowd's warmed up, then you bring yeah. me in. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you're the fluffer. <laughs> I don't know if I should leave that one in. <laughs> um, I'm Gordon Burkell. I'm Lauren Woodcock Burkell. Oh, you're hyphening it this week. No, I'm Lauren Burkell. I'm Lauren Burkell. Oh, for goodness sakes. Uh, Thanks for listening.